This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers, welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater, and I'm joined by a new friend out of the Charlotte metro area of Matthews, North Carolina, Andy Zawacki, who is the head of school at Arborbrook Christian Academy. And him and I had a chance to chat a little week or two ago, and I was like, all right, this guy's got to come on the podcast because he's got a lot of stuff he can add to the conversation we've been having on school success. And so I'm hoping you guys can grab a lot of things from today's episode. But before I pass it off to introduce him and let him uh, get into his little spiel, I do want to highlight our amazing sponsors over at America's Christian Credit Union. They are celebrating 65 years of service this year, and they provide some essential school banking services, tuition financing programs, and schools are looking to, a lot of them out there, are looking to reduce their risk and financial burden for going after people who are not able to maybe pay the tuition on time all the time. So they have some awesome programs over there. And I want you guys to go check them out. You can see their website at americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. That's americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. One of the things they love to talk about is two main things. If a, if a school is looking for financing to be able to build a building or do something in that capacity, you need to go talk to them. Or again, if you're having to follow up with people all throughout the year for them paying their their tuition. They have some loans that they offer families that they can get a loan through the credit union. You get your money up front as the school, and then and it doesn't cost you anything as a school either, and they can work directly with the credit union to take care of that loan so their student can go to your school. So some pretty cool things. Go check them out online. They're awesome over there, and uh, you can tell them that we sent you. All right. So as we dive into today's episode, I do want to pass it off to Andy to introduce himself. So Andy, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you so much, Mitchell. It's great to be here. I'm so glad to take the opportunity to talk today. Love it. Well, you know, I'm sort of semi-familiar with North Carolina, but not your area. I'm more familiar with the RDU area because my in-laws are all there. My wife's from there. But I always start with the same question. If I was to come to your area, Matthews area or, you know, the Charlotte Metro what would you say, Mitchell, you got to do this to have the full Charlotte experience? Yeah, I think most people in Charlotte, I mean, if you're a NASCAR fan, there's uh, the NASCAR Hall of Fame. That's a big deal. But I also think that the Billy Graham Museum is a reason why people come to the Charlotte area. And it is a very interesting uh, walk through history of the ministry of Reverend Billy Graham. So I recommend it to anybody who's coming. And so if you're just looking for something to do, come by Charlotte and check out the Billy Graham Library. And uh, I'm not affiliated with them, so that's a freebie. All right, well, per- perfect. How about this? Then if I want to eat, if I go to the Billy Graham thing, I got to go eat. Where, where am I going to eat? Yeah, lots of great lots of great restaurants in Charlotte. South end of Charlotte is a great location where there's a, there's a ton of new restaurants coming up in, in space. I'm thinking... You might really enjoy, there's lots of different types of barbecue. Carolina barbecue, of course, is really big. So whether you do a Jim and Nick's or a, there's lots of different ones around that you can check out. But 
we kind of like the the local places where you don't get the the chains and you just get really good food and good service. So my wife's favorite restaurant to go to right now, we'll just say right now, is called Waterman's Fish Bar and has a great view of uptown. We call it uptown Charlotte, not downtown Charlotte. And it's a it's a great little restaurant that's in the South End. So I recommend that to anybody as well. Okay. Well, man, North Carolina barbecue. I remember when I first married my wife and I got into this, this has come up on a few episodes before of the podcast, but I was like, North Carolina barbecue, what is, what is that? And I tried it and I was like, what is that concoction on North Carolina barbecue? She's like, it's vinegar. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Vinegar doesn't go on barbecue. It's yeah. Barbecue it's very different. Right yes. Are you a vinegar? Are you a vinegar fan? I'm not, but I do like the different variations that they offer. They don't just offer you the vinegar. There's also the mustard because there's a South Carolina influence as well. <laughs> so, you know, I actually live in South Carolina just over the border. So there's a little competition going on. That's where I live on the South side of Charlotte. So you might have some vinegar, but you also could have some mustard in your barbecue, which is very different. So if you never had it, don't mock it till you try it. <laughs> I like how there's so many different types of barbecue and people are like, go to war. You yes, know, about exactly. And if you, you said Carolina, you're assuming North Carolina. That's what most people do. And even when you're talking in this area about Carolina, that's usually referring to like University of Carolina over in North Carolina, the blue, the, 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 you know, Carolina blue, but of course, South Carolinians get very upset because what about, what about South Carolina and what's going on in Columbia? So there's this whole debate with college sports as well. Great debate between the two states. Shoof, man. Good college sports to the States yes. too, man. I love that. So I'm, I married into a Duke Blue Devils family. Um, so I got that for basketball and then I'm Florida Gator fan for football. Cause I grew up in Florida. So I was like, wow, yeah, just and then I love how you said things to do. You didn't even mention sports. So like, nobody's like, we don't care about the Panthers here. Yeah, <laughs> everybody cares about the Panthers here, but it's right now not Panther season. So it's not on my mind, but you got the Panthers. And of course you have lots of other options. We have a great AAA baseball team and of course the basketball. So lots of the Hornets are big. So really a lot of, a lot of really great things to do here in Charlotte. Love it. I love the Carolinas. So I love, I love where you're at. With diving into today's episode, I typically like to see how the guests got to where they are today. So kind of like, yeah. obviously you're head of school, but kind of give us the, the thousand foot view of how Andy got to where he is today. All right. I began my career as a social studies teacher at a Christian school outside of Albany, New York, called Loudonville Christian School. I taught there for nine years, got my my master's degree in educational administration while, was, while I was there and became a school principal in my late 20s or 27, I think, and then had a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a detour, I suppose. It wasn't really a detour. It was just a detour for me. God called us into ministry. And so I actually became a pastor. So 15 years as a local church pastor, six years as a youth pastor, nine years as a senior pastor at a local church in the Albany area. And all the while I was doing that, I was teaching classes on the side, staying in education because it's always been a passion of mine. And then after those 15 years of work at the local church, my wife and I really felt like it was time for a transition. And so we resigned our role and sold our home, packed up our triplets that we had along the way. So I've got, I got three adult children now, triplets. And we moved to the Carolinas and they were 13. So that was very harrowing for all of us. 
I have a boy and identical girls. But we, when we moved, we felt like Charlotte was the right area. We came to this area and we found Arbor Brook as a school for our children. The well, educational philosophy we read about from Albany. And the one thing we knew, I didn't know where I was going to work. I didn't know anything at all. We, we were, had so many questions. We knew we were moving to the area and we just felt like uh, Arbor Brook was the place for our kids. So we enrolled them as eighth graders. I worked in a ministry setting for three years, not in a church, but a parachurch organization. And during those three years, I uh, began work in a doctoral degree. So in 2018, I finished that work and became Dr. Zawacki. So most of my career, students called me Mr. Z, and now they have to call me Dr. Z, which, hey, if you, if you earn that piece of, you earn that, those letters, you better use them because it's hard work getting there, but I digress a little bit. So in 2017, the uh, head of school position became open at Arbor Brook and I was encouraged by some board members to apply and I did, and I became head of school in 2017. So I have been at the school. I will be starting my seventh school year. And it has been a great ride and a, a lot of fun. It's a great place to work. It's a great place to go to school. And the culture is what makes it different than anything else I've ever worked at and been part of. It was a, a great place for my, my kids. They graduated in 2019 and they have since graduated from college. And my son just started his, his big boy job, I call it, this past Monday. My daughter's been working for a semester, and then I have another daughter in graduate school getting a nurse practitioner degree. So very proud of them, and they're doing, they're doing really great. And my wife and I are working to pay for all the expenses that they have created all these years. <laughs> Man, and triplets nonetheless. Yeah. Dude, that is, I, I have a friend just literally across the street. I'm in my home office where I record, but I cross the street. I have triplet boys. And uh, they're two identical, one one not, and uh, but they're eight, eight years old. And I mean, like, I'm like that, I can't imagine like three at the same time. Yeah. So that was, that was some special times for you guys growing up, I would assume, huh? It was. And, you know, a lot of people, they asked really when they were very little and we would take them out, people were just fascinated at the idea of three babies at once. And so were we, of course, but <laughs> people, people generally ask the question, are they, are they real? And what they mean by that question is like, are they, were they, were they made artificially or were they, were they oh. in vitro fertilization or did you have help having triplets? And so we did honestly have a little trouble getting pregnant, but we did not go down the route of artificial insemination. We, or, or we didn't go down the route of IBF. We, we had them naturally. And it's so funny when people ask that question. That's just such an interesting uh, question. But, you know, due to technology, people have a lot of questions about how things are done these days. But it's been the ride of our lives. We wouldn't change a thing. It's been challenging and difficult and wonderful and incredible all at the same time. I should mention also, I just walked my first daughter down the aisle like three weeks ago. So we had our first wedding and uh, my new son-in-law is just a terrific guy. And 
I could not be prouder to be on that side of the, the world now trying to, you know, manage now. I have four kids. I don't just have three. I now have four, which is pretty awesome. That is cool. Congratulations. That is, that is really cool. It's exciting. I only have a three-year-old at the moment, so I'm at the beginning well, stages of everything. You have some ways to go, but I'll tell you, it's going to be, it, it's a great ride. That's exciting, man. One of the things that stood out to me in your, in your story that you shared was feeling the call to move when your kids were 13 years old and entering into eighth grade, like what a time to, to uproot. And like, I'm sure that came with a ton of, ton of stresses and unknowns. I'm assuming, especially probably even pushback, I would assume from your, your kids. Was that, was that the case at that point or no? Yeah, it was not, it was not smooth sailing. It was hard. Uh, It was hard for all of us. We were deeply connected to our community in, in the Albany area. And so it, it took a measure of real faith um, to, to do that. We felt like it was the right thing. We had prepared the kids and talked to the kids. And yet I think they all handled the stress a little differently as being different people. One just found a great community to jump into when she got here and it was a lot easier for her. The other two had a much more difficult time and it took at least a year And so we were all kind of hanging on that first year of expecting the transition to be smooth and easy because you're, you're doing what you think is right. And you're trying to, you know, better your lives in in whatever ways that you, you feel like a move like that will do. And we found it to be extremely challenging. And so we learned out of that, that out of hard things, growth comes for all of us. And I think my children really, grasp that. My daughter, uh, one of my daughters wrote an essay at the end of ninth grade as a final project, or maybe it was the end of 10th grade. I can't remember, but it was all about how that time she would cry herself to sleep in eighth grade, but she knew that God was using it in her life to grow her spiritually and grow her deeply. And to now know that, I didn't know that at the time, it just makes it all the more, all that, that period special and more poignant in our minds. But yeah, it didn't come easy, Mitchell. I wish it was like, oh, it was like we got here and the heavens opened and everything was simple. It, it certainly was not. I just remember when I was younger, we had semi similar thing. I grew up in central Florida and then my dad got a job up in Alaska and told me and my three brothers, my mom, like, hey, we're moving, we're going to move to Alaska. I'm taking, we're taking this job. And so it was, my brother was seven. I was 11 and my other brother was 16 and 17. And so like our whole world was Florida, our church, our family, everything. Right. And so it was like, man, like to, we uprooted to Golia, go up there where we had an aunt and uncle and a cousin. That's all we had into a state. We had no idea. We had no snow. Like what is snow? Like none of that. And so starting <laughs> fresh, starting over, I mean, I was 11, so I feel like I was I was still really mad and I'm upset, but I immediately got plugged into the church, local church and you know youth group or whatever, and then I played football and basketball. So I immediately got plugged in, but my older brothers, I know that they it was harder for them because they're almost out of high school right. and got uprooted. Yeah. But we all ended up finding our wives in Alaska, and wow. now we're just kind of either – most of them are still up there, but then I have a brother in Oregon, and I'm here in Florida now again. Wow. So it's like – but we all look back and go – that was what God had for us. We found yeah. there was, we found purpose. We found our calling when yeah. we when we went on that call. And kudos to my dad for doing that. That was I know that was scary for them too. Like they sold everything to try this thing, and they're all still up there. And and as I record this with you in two days, I'll be up there with my mom and dad to go. Oh wow, that's incredible. That's so, that's fantastic. 
it's a, it's a yeah, lot. it takes a lot of courage. And I think every one of my kids would say that it has been a really excellent thing for them. But, you know, there were not, there were some fights, there were some arguments, there was some disagreement along the way. Yeah, especially when they have the pack of three, they're like, "We're gonna, we're gonna team up against mom and dad or something." Hey, know. you know, if you if you know that, then you know the science behind parenting triplets. You got it. <laughs> pack mentality. It's it's zone defense from the start. Oh man, <laughs> I get why you guys stop. You're like three. We're good. We're good with the three. <laughs> so jumping into the school, I, I love your background. I love your story. Obviously, we stick to very similar format when we when we kind of interview people i'd love to kind of just jump into some challenges that you guys are sure. whether currently maybe you had recently or something you're currently in right now and how are you combating some sure. of those challenges there at your school yeah i thought about this question and um mitchell i think any school leader who has lived in the last three years has faced what seemed to be insurmountable challenges and i i think that i i've got some fresh challenges that have occurred this year that are a little bit different, but they're, I'm seeing a trend that's being born out of some of the impacts of what took place during COVID. And I think they're very challenging. I, uh, and I want to relate this to somehow relate this to the unique educational philosophy that we have at Arborbrook. It's a, it's a different type of a school and it doesn't cater to everyone. And, and it's a very, it's a very special place. I, I don't know that I could work at many other schools because the, the philosophy at the school is just so wonderful. It, it really does resonate with me. But I think some of the, the major challenges that we're facing as a school would be things like culture shifts within the mindset of our students students wanting different things than they've wanted in the past, our older students. And I also think that there's a shift in parenting among our, our, our constituency that the, the, some of the tried and true philosophies of parenting that have been passed down throughout the generations, I feel like this generation of parents is, is perhaps facing new challenges and they don't know how to deal with some of these newer challenges that are tied to technology and a lot of the things that have occurred that kind of came through the pandemic of the last few years. So those, those have definitely been some of the, the biggest challenges for us. We are also trying to build a building and we are expanding, we're growing and trying to raise money from a grassroots, we're a grassroots school. We've been around for 18 years, but we really are a grassroots community and trying to raise enough money to be able to be fiscally responsible to begin building is a challenge because costs are crazy, money is tight, and it is for everybody. <clears throat> and so we're not the school with deep, deep pockets. And so it's been that's been a big challenge as well. So uh, I can speak to any of those or all of those if you want to, but you tell me where you want to go from here. Let's dive into let's dive into the building side because this has sure. come up a few times with just even some guests, but also just some people I've heard from the schools I talk to, like how I know you're in the beginning stages yes. of that. But what is, you know, what are kind of the steps you guys are looking yeah. at taking right now? What is that looking like? Excellent question. So let me tell you a little bit of history. Like I said, Arborbrook is going to start its 19th school year, this school year. And we have been on the same property, renting space. We're an independent Christian school, but we rent space from a church that we've been at the last 18 years. 
outdoor living is a very important part of outdoor learning and living is a very big part of what we do at Arbor Brook. So we have lots of school gardens and nature trails and outdoor spaces. And so our students actually have been the benefit beneficiary of a almost 12 acre campus that we rent different spaces on. So we are spread out. We're in five buildings across a campus and um, our students do spend a good amount of time outside, but we've been able to develop that space through parent volunteers over the course of 18 years. And I'm very proud of what we've done to make the spaces really beautiful and pleasant outdoors. Charlotte does have great weather. So um, we are outdoor outdoors every day we possibly can be. And when we are not, our kids get very unhappy. If it's raining for um, like days, man, it does not make for a good uh, week at Arbor Brook. Kids just don't like, they love being outside. We get them outside. We get that energy out. So in, in so doing, we've had a, I'm saying all that because we put a fingerprint. Our footprint has been on this property for all these years, right? So we have sought to do many different things. We looked at other properties nearby to be able to buy one. Um, but we kept getting um, priced out or just wasn't the, the exact right location. So a few years ago, we approached the church and asked if we could do a land lease where we could build a building on the current premises and we would be able to uh, lease it from them um, over 99 years. Uh, that's a typical lease. They were agreeable, but the bank was not because... They would not want to fork. They would not want to, the public relations debacle if they were to foreclose on a church. So that kind of put a kibosh on that idea, uh, and that brought us to the place of approaching the church and asking them if we could purchase a portion of the property to be able to build. And so we have done that, and that took place. I feel that that's a miraculous relationship building process that's taken place over the last few years but we were able to purchase that uh, one acre um, almost two years ago. And so we, we own one acre among the 12 and we have plans to build a grade seven through 12 building on the current grounds where we actually own that one acre property. So the plans have been drawn up. It's a 13 classroom building, 10,000 square feet. It is not elaborate. It is, it is nice. But it is, it's, it, if you picture it, our philosophy would be much more in line with a farmhouse or a, a very nice looking, like big figure, a farmhouse. That's kind of the building, the, the motif that we're going for. And we have one drawn up. It's very nice. But the cost of that has just, when we started this process, it was pre-COVID, um, the cost was 1.8 million and now it's 3.9 million. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it, it, it's just been very challenging for us to, 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 to go down the road of like what we could do. So we, we decided on a three-year capital campaign and we've, we are in year number two, we're about to start year number two of that campaign. And we have a million dollars in pledges that have been committed to the school, which is tremendous. I think that's a, that's a fantastic first year. I'm very proud of the work that was done. We still obviously have work to do and we're going to continue down that road. And so I'm um, excited about it for sure. 
That is exciting. And it's a goal to <clears throat> buy more of the land from the church eventually, yeah. maybe the church itself, like the building. I mean, what's the long, what do you think long term? That's a, that's a good question. The board has been, uh, has to answer some of these questions. So I think that it would be, it, it, it's obvious that um, we would like to develop a longer term plan to do more, but we also recognize that the church has been in existence for a very long time and they have to be willing to work with us to be able to do those things. The good news is that we have a great relationship and they are willing to work with us in, in so many regards, whether ownership would change or we would own more in the future. I'm leaving that to the Lord and to the board to discuss with the church, but I do feel like we're going to need some more answers in that regard eventually. And I'm, I'm hopeful for the answer to that. But the, the church has been so, so gracious to us and very willing to work with us to make things, to make school work. I mean, it, it's a it's a lively atmosphere and it is, the church has been very agreeable to, to make all that very, very generous towards us in the process. I'm so glad that they're open to that because I, I hear, I've heard both sides of this coin from people like saying, oh, we talked to a couple of churches and they completely like closed the door. Like, nope, we don't want a school on here or school or churches. Like I just heard literally today, there was a person I was talking to where the school became independent because the church was like, we don't want to do anything with the school anymore. And I was like, man, I just, that just blows my mind. <laughs> and not only that, like we don't want anything to do with you, but you can still rent from us. And so the church, the school is still in the church, but they're like not associated. And so it's just crazy. You get both sides of it of people like that. And I love hearing the stories like what you guys have with Arbor Brook and the churches. They they love you guys. You're not even connected. You're independent, but you're getting, you know, they're behind you. They're supportive of you. It's awesome. And they, and they do, you know, they they see us as their auxiliary ministry. So they see that, that they've provided spaces for us to be able to do what we can do to impact God's kingdom. And so we're on the same team. It's, it's taken some time and, and some work, Mitchell. It's not an easy, there are just some natural things that can happen that can, the enemy wants to bring division between us, but we've worked hard to really have some very open and honest conversations over the years to really thank them for their contributions as well. Any, any advice or feedback on maybe there's somebody's list, somebody's listening and they're looking to go to a church to ask for, or to rent, or they are trying to fill out, build up a relationship with the church, or maybe they're straining the relationship. Is there any just random thing you would think of to go, Hey, I would do this if you're trying to talk to a church or be, or be with a church. Yeah. If you, if you can establish some sort of relationship with the church before you do the ask, I think it's going to be a lot better for you than, than not. I, this particular church was looking for a school to come and be part of it. They were open to that. They had a lot of space that they were not using anymore. So it was a really good, mutually beneficial um, relationship. Schools, you know, schools have children in them. Children don't, they, they purposely, you know, the, the, Children do things while they're in buildings. So things get dirty or they get messed up. And they, so, so having that responsive, responsible approach to be able to be forthright and honest and correct things that do go wrong goes a long way to make sure that the relationship is solidified and frustrations are kept at a minimum. I would say building that relationship, getting to know the pastoral staff and understanding that you're in it as a kingdom minded organization and not just about today, but about the future is going to be key and important for the, for, for the success of both organizations. That's awesome. Awesome. 
Oh, well, I kind of, we kind of blended, I feel like, almost a few. You might have some really good uh, wins to share, but I feel like what you shared was a, a challenge, but the, the win right next to it, which I love. So let, let's uh, let's dive into some wins, and maybe there's going to be some overlap. We'll kind of jump back and forth. Sure, three. sure. Okay, so some wins as of late. I would say that more than ever, our philosophy of education is resounding within um, our community. So the fact that we... We are a school where we're promoting a love of learning and not mastery of a test <clears throat> or just, you know, develop these skills right, right this way. It, we, our goal, one of our missions is actually to help students become lifelong lovers of learning and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I feel like that has, because of the time in which we live, that, that mission has brought more people and to the table who want what we want. They recognize that education is not just a cookie cutter. Every kid's the same. We just fill the widget and do this with the widget and everything is fine. Move it along in an assembly line. People are looking for something that actually is going to meet the needs of the students where they are and help them to grow and become the people that God intended them to be. That is the hallmark of a Charlotte Mason education. And that's what we follow. We, we follow. The fact that Charlotte Mason was an educator in the late 1800s, early 1900s. She uh, was in Britain, but she just had some very simple educational philosophies that were that are revolutionary today and complex, but yet so simple. And just some basic things like every child is born a person. So you don't have to fill the person's head with facts in order for them to achieve a certain level or a certain, they don't, they, we, we're not filling them with facts. We're presenting a feast, a table before them and helping them to grow as individuals so that they can uh, develop the habits that they need to have to become the people that God intended them to be. I think it's been the win right now is that we're finding more and more families are saying that they want this type of an educational approach rather than what's being offered in the general public. Another win, I would say, Mitchell, is that Arborbrook has maintained a four-day-a-week schedule for all 18 years, and we love that. Our families love that. Our kids love that. Our parents love that. And I think in the world in which we live where there's, there's more and more expectation, there's more and more pressure, you know, we got to do things earlier for students. We are bucking the trend. We don't have a preschool. We are a kindergarten. And it is, yes, we teach phonics. Yes, we teach math. They learn to read. But it is uh, much more about play and helpful galloping the globe in the afternoon where they learn all about different cultures of the world. We are, and, and again, they're outside learning about nature and nature studies. These are things that we're finding our families are wanting to be part. And so we're not having trouble filling our classrooms, which is great. We've expanded our classrooms to two sections for every grade K through six. We've had to keep our upper school smaller because we don't have the space needed for those bigger bodies. So that's why that building is important for us. And we feel the urgency to that. So while there's a lot of wins with enrollment, there's also this pending like, huh, we better do something or we're going to be in big trouble because we don't have enough space for those bodies upcoming in, the, in two years. So we've got to get this ball rolling. We've got to see the Lord provide 
<laughs> the funds needed to be able to build. And the last thing I would say as far as a win is that um, when a student, a student comes into school on a Tuesday because we didn't have school on Monday uh, for a holiday and they walk in and they're smiling. By the way, hugs from the students are amazing. They're just a really sweet environment. But when the student says to me, I missed being here yesterday. Mm-hmm. I wish there was school yesterday. Like, you know, you're doing something right when the students actually want to be at school. Now, everybody loves their vacations. Everybody was very eager to get on summer break. I'm at the top of that list. But when school begins and the students love being there, you just know something is going right, that they're getting the right balance of education. They're being challenged, but they're loving the atmosphere and the work that's going on. So those are three wins, I think, that are easily coming off of my tongue. I love it. Well, going back to that last one you said, is there ever, because again, I've only had this come up a couple of times for a school. So there, there's a demand for the students, but there's no room. Is there ever a point where, and I know these aren't like $2,000, but like bringing in a module or, or whatever, or going off site for a few, like vice versa, like trying to find like the way to have the students build a building and boom, we already have the students to disperse in there. Is there any way to do that or that's way more complicated? Well, we've tried a lot of, as you can imagine, we've tried a lot of different things over the years and we've tried, we've, we've gone down the road of adding modulars. We do have one modular on our campus already. The town is not favorable for us putting any other modulars on our property. We've gone down that road and we've asked them, even the temporary, they're not fond of, of such a thing. And I think we'd have we would not get the approvals necessary. Moving students off campus is, there is the possibility of that. And we have talked about that. And at times we've had to do some things when we've had, we've had like flooding, for example, after a hurricane and we had to close some of the classrooms because they got flooded and they had to be reworked. So what did we do during that period of time? We condensed some things, having families drop some students off at this campus and then have to go someplace else. There's not a really great answer to that. It's very challenging for us to then man both or have the right faculty at both. Unless you take all of the students, it's difficult to take some of them because we teach across the seven through 12 spectrum. We have the same faculty teaching all of them. So you'd have to take all of those students off. And then that becomes much more of a challenge because we're not talking about just a few classrooms at that point. You're talking about a larger group. So there are some challenges. We have some great um, local church neighbors that I think we could ask in the event that we had something short term and urgent, but a longer term um, scenario. We are making do with what we have and praying that this that the, the building funds are there so we can move forward with that building and perhaps even be in in August. It would be awesome if we could. This August? No, next. Oh, I was like, no, what? not not a month from now. Yeah. Uh, a year from now. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. That's man. That's exciting. A lot of things moving in the right direction. I think you guys are going about it all the right ways. So you're not jumping into something, you know, I, th- I love the part of just the church has 12 acres. You're like, you know, we got one, we're, we're, we got one. Like you just, you're not like, let's buy it. Let's buy everything. Let's go buy a $10 million facility in Charlotte or something. And like go, uh, 
so I think you guys are going about it the right way, and I believe that it's it's going to come to fruition. And yeah, the board's the board's doing its job of wanting to make sure that we're fiscally responsible along the way, and I I appreciate that. It's it's a balancing act. We there's not a shortage of vision. There's mm-hmm. just a a difference between what the vision holds and where we are financially right now. But we've been here for 18 years. We've never been larger. We're on the right track. Things are going the right direction. And, you know, that growth is poised to move into our middle and high school. So we're excited about that in the coming years. I love it. Well, Andy, as we typically wrap up the podcast, I always ask the final question. If you were to share a piece of advice with the school leaders listening, what would that piece of advice be? Okay, so coming back to the fact that, you know, I think school leaders have taken it on the chin a lot in the in the last few years with a lot of different, you know, crises, events that have taken place since COVID. I think that those who are still in it have, have had to have recognized that you need to build, build systems into your life to continue healthy habits, healthy lifestyle habits. And for me, I think this has come down to <clears throat> categories, big, big picture categories, but things like my relationships, who am I, who's in my life that will help me to be able to deal with the stress of um, the job. It is, it is a wonderful job, but school leaders are responsible for so many things. And in any one day, you know, I could be dealing with three different crises that have just emerged out of different things that have come up. Um, so who am I, who are in my, who's in my life? Who's in my corner? Who are those relationships that I can just maybe even just scream at if I needed to, to let out some of that frustration. Another, another one is what is my physical activity like during the day or every day to be able to get the releases that I need to be able to maintain health? That's a big one for me. Am I walking? Am I going to the gym? Am I, am I actually participating in some exercise? Just getting my heart rate up for a little while. We've, we, we say this is so good for our kids, right? Like we have PE every day so that we get the kids' heart rates elevated for what fact? So that they can concentrate. Why would it be any different for me to not have that? So making sure that that's part of the, the repertoire. And then also emotionally, what am I doing to deal with emotions? Am I journaling? Am I talking to somebody about that? Do I have a counselor? Do I have somebody who I can talk to about the emotional side of my life and getting in touch with those emotions so that I don't get uh, a sneak attack by some emotion that can kind of take me out? I I saw some, some social media memes at the end of the school year about teachers having the summer off and really just needing the time off to sort of heal from the year. Like you just, you know, you, you need some time off to decompress. I I am joining that crowd for the first time. I guess I'm actually saying that out loud that after six years, I feel like this summer I've really needed, of course, I've had some big things in my life. My daughter got married, you know, I've, I've had some really big events that have caused me to have other things going on, but it's been really good for me to decompress, to step away from the day to day for a period of time and actually decompress and deal with some of those emotional things that have had that took place this past year. I think any school leader who is in it for the students can't help but feel a lot. I'm an empath. I'm going to feel what's going on with our students and with our with our faculty. And 
we had a, the tragedy of losing a teacher this past year. He died in a tragic accident and his wife is a teacher at our school. And so his children were at our school. So that's trauma. That's stuff that you, you, you can't just come back to work tomorrow and be like, oh, that's everything's normal. It isn't. It's going to take a while to make things so make things better, make things um, healthy again. So what are you doing um, in the emotional side of your life to be able to deal with all of that? I found that to be very important this past summer. And I would recommend that all school leaders get a plan for themselves. It's the only way to be, maintain health doing this job. Man, solid stuff, Andy. I love it. I love it. Well, I love what you're doing. I love, I love your story, and I love the the what you guys are the couple of years that you guys have ahead for Arbor Brook. I think there's some exciting time. I know there's some exciting times ahead for y'all. So, I just want to thank you for giving up your your time for one the podcast, but two just all the years that you've spent, you know, as a obviously a pastor, but teaching at schools, so like pouring into the next generation, and obviously you're you're a testament for the students at the school, but also your triplets that are are, are successful kids that are starting their lives. So. You're, I know you're doing some awesome things there. So keep doing what you're doing. Don't leave anytime soon from there. Keep doing what you're doing. You got to see all this stuff through. And yes, uh, I just appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast, man. I love what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you, Mitchell. I appreciate the opportunity and um, look forward to our relationship furthering as we, uh, we grow together. Love it. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Andy for taking time to be on the podcast today. I love what he's doing over at Arborbrook and I'm wishing him nothing but the best as they continue to grow and educate that next generation that's coming behind us. And if you're a school that's listening today and you're looking for help, whether it's growing your enrollment, maybe it's fundraising, maybe you're looking for a new SIS to manage your enrollment period and all the students that are at your school, we have some great resources, some great connections that we'd love to connect you with, and we have all of them, but you have to connect with us on our website and reach out to us asking for those. It is schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. We have some just great friends that become really good friends of mine that are uh, parts of these different companies that are great resources for you and your school, and we'd love to connect you with them. So reach out if you guys are needing some connections in terms of Again, if whether it's the marketing side, growing your enrollment, or if it's fundraising, strategic planning, there's all those different ones out there. We'd love to connect you with them. If you're a school that's listening and you just need some community and some different people to see that are in education just like you, we'd love you to join our private Facebook group called School Success Makers. It's a private group just on Facebook for school leaders called School Success Makers. I'm personally in there. I'd love to see you in there as well and get to know you. So please go connect in there. And then you guys have heard the spiel a little bit before, but I'll say it again. We are launching our school success report, which is our weekly newsletter that's going to launch this fall. And we'd love to make sure you're, you're getting it, especially the first issue. It's going to be a ton of things on education. We're going to have giveaways. We're going to have different scholarships we're eventually going to offer. We're going to highlight teachers through the newsletter. So we want to make sure you get it. So make sure you go to our website, schoolsuccessmakers.com and sign up to receive the school success report when that starts going this fall of 2023. And as always, if you guys have any comments, concerns, ideas, anything that you want to share with us that we can do better or different guests that we should interview, please let us know. You can do that finding us on our website as well. All right, y'all. I think that's it. I forgot anything. You just tell me, okay? We'll be here next week with another awesome guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.